voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional. My goodness, have I got a fucking great episode for you today. Um, my guest is the wonderful Chris Drummond. Chris is a philosopher, a writer, a photographer, and a student of spirituality, I guess you could say. Um, Chris has spent a shitload of time traveling around the world trying to understand the nature of consciousness through fucking a million different ways, psychedelics, reading books, going to university, studying with meditation teachers, doing meditation groups at meditation centers, traveling all the way to England and back consistently for many moons, volunteering at a retreat so that he can understand a little bit more about the wisdom that there is and the many spiritual teachings that exist out there in the world. Um, And he does this in a really kind of like academic and intense way because he's a really smart guy. And uh, I don't know, it's very nice. I love talking to him because he's got an excellent brain, but he also thinks about things in really holistic terms, you know, from every angle. And um, this could not have come at a better time uh, due to the recent events of me um, going to the uh, Women's Self-Pleasure Circle, i.e. Circle Jerk, and then recording a podcast about it and not feeling particularly good about the podcast because uh, I just felt like I was a kid at school talking crazy amounts of mean shit about people behind their back and then recorded it and put it out on the internet like an idiot. And then, um, you know, when the inevitable offended feedback came back to me, I um, felt like a fucking idiot and I felt like an asshole. And it took um, somebody else kind of pointing out to me how much I was projecting my own insecurities onto the situation rather than taking a funny story that would have been a really funny story and been able to, you know, do something cool with it. Instead, I just kind of, you know, became like a kid throwing a tantrum. And the, I, there's nothing wrong with speaking to your mind. I, I fucking don't get me wrong. I There have been a lot of people that have spoke out in my uh, defense and have written me really lovely messages, and I really, really appreciate it. A lot of people have been saying that I... Um, you know, I'm I'm being too hard on myself, and in 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 some ways, I, I, number one, I want to say that I fucking completely agree with you, and I am so grateful and thankful for all the people that have been sending me nice messages to make me feel like less of a leper. Um, I agree that nobody should censor what they say because they're worried about offending people by any means. I think um, I think taking other people's emotional well being into consideration is important, but if you've got something really Uh, important to say or you're trying to do something specific for art or if you're trying to elicit a response, um, we should not censor the way people speak. Uh, Full stop, we should not censor what people have to say regardless. But um, what I did that I think was wrong was that uh, what made me feel gross was that I was worried if any person just happened to stumble across this podcast and that was the very first episode they heard and they didn't know me and they didn't know anything about what I'm trying to do with the podcast, then they would 
not get an accurate representation of what I want this podcast to be about. And that made me feel very uncomfortable. I, for some reason, got it in my head that I was going to be a comedian and tell this hilarious story um, about the time that I masturbated in the woods. And it did have the potential to be super funny. But instead, I just ended up being incredibly cynical and judgmental and really mean about a group of people that could not defend themselves and made a whole bunch of assumptions about why everyone was doing what they were doing, (laughs) mostly because it made me uncomfortable and made me feel like I was a weirdo. And instead of me accepting that I felt fucking weird and that I was probably not as good at being spiritual in this environment as I should have been, I fucking, you know, was an asshole. But the glorious thing that has come about from all this was that I was able to sit down with Victoria, who's the lady that runs the self-pleasure circles. She um, and could have very easily just been offended and mad at me and wrote me a mean email, unfollowed me, and then never talked to me again. But instead, we talked to each other. She came here to my house, and we discussed the whole thing, and she really helped illuminate a lot of, uh, as Chris really well puts it, blind spots in who I am and what I'm doing with myself in this world. And I'll honestly, I'll tell you, as gross as it was and as uh, icky and shameful as I felt during this whole process, I feel fucking amazing now because I really feel like um, a kind of gross calcified part of myself, this thing that needed to be a somebody, has kind of fallen off of me and I feel loosened up a little bit. Um, In saying that, though, I'm recording this... many days later, at least almost a week later. And the podcast that you're about to listen to was recorded the day after I posted an apology for the whole thing on my social media. I did the podcast. I talked to Victoria the next day. And then uh, I waited three days to have a think about how I felt about everything and make sure I wasn't just being a people pleaser and just second guessing myself because I was afraid of those people not liking me and then other people not liking me and this whole fucking neurotic bullshit that happened in my head. I thought it through. I did what I thought was right. And I posted this video on my social media. And then this conversation was recorded directly after that. So I'm still quite raw. I'm still quite ashamed of myself. And um, it's a fucking lovely conversation. Sometimes when you're at your most kind of broken and vulnerable moments are the best times to sit down with a really good friend and talk about what just happened to you. So that's what this is. Now, this is an interesting thing because uh, Chris and I have actually never seen each other in real life. We've never been around each other in person. I've known him for probably over six years now, but uh, I've only ever talked to him on Skype. (laughs) So you have to forgive me. This uh, Chris's side of the conversation, um, like when I'm talking to you, I sound like me, this you know, the normal, nice, warm sound of my microphone in a studio. And then when Chris talks, it sounds like he's coming at us from, you know, a radio in 1970. <laughs> but it's it's still a fucking great conversation. I've done the best I can with the audio, so forgive me. It is tough with Skype, but um, I think it's good enough that you definitely, it shouldn't be too distracting anyway. I don't intend on doing many Skype interviews because I don't, I think the sound quality can be distracting. So, um In the future, there probably won't be many of these, but if the guest is worth it, I absolutely am going to try and figure out how to do this. And P.S., if anyone has any information on how to do this better or any feedback on how it sounded to you because you're not a neurotic perfectionist, 
trying to put out a podcast, I would love to hear the feedback. Um, so Chris and I have never met each other in real life. We met um, because we used to help critique each other's writing on a Duncan Trussell forum. Duncan Trussell has a podcast in the U.S., um, and there's a forum on his website that where we used to share each other's writing and critique it and help each other out. And that's how Chris and I met each other. And then we eventually, you know, exchanged emails and talked to each other in email and then eventually Skype. And we've been doing it for over six years now. And uh, we just never happen to be in the same continent at the same time. So I don't know. Eventually we'll probably meet each other. But for now, this is fucking good enough. He's become one of my best friends. And this is a great conversation. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. And... Also, uh, just quickly, thank you so much to everybody. Uh, I'll say it again a million times over how much I appreciate that everybody was writing me messages this last week and uh, in critique and in support of everything that I did. I'm grateful for all of the feedback because, number one, obviously it helped me see a little bit clearer from outside of my own head what I'm doing and how I'm impacting other people. And two, um, it was really great to know that you know, people listen to this podcast. It's fucking awesome. I love it. So um, thank you so much, everybody who helped me out and who um, wrote me messages, who talked to me in real life (laughs) and watched me deal with my own little emotional earthquake. Um, Hope you guys have a great week. We'll talk to you again soon. How are you? Oh, I am. Hmm. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I just published my website, my new website. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I've been super busy. You're uh, doing. You've got a new writing page that I saw on yeah. Facebook. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, writing. I've been working with my. Some of my friends have been sending clients to me, so I've been doing uh, like creative coaching, which is weird. Oh, like yeah. helping ask people questions and sort of help them like dig into their inspiration to find out how they want to structure it. So like going into whatever's inspiring them and finding a way to organize it and bring it into a useful project. Wow. What kind of tools do you do for that? Like what kind of stuff are you doing? Uh, I took a course called writing to awaken, which was, Oh yeah. You sent it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Which I didn't. And so (laughs) yeah, it's a big commitment, but, um, those, yeah, just questions like that, questions like after I talk to the person and get a feel for what they want to do, I kind of just come up with questions based on that course. Okay. And um, it's been working really well for people, actually, and oh. it's really fun. Wow, yeah. that's so cool. I know I mm-hmm. was just talking about this the other day, like the, in the creative industries, there's all this like self-help business, self-help people. I just finished reading Johan Hari's last book, Lost Connections, and he says – in there that um, having a materialistic outlook on life significantly increases your chances of having depression, just significantly. Mm. I don't care who mm-hmm. it is. It doesn't matter if you're Donald Trump or if you're me. You Having a materialistic output or uh, materialistic values, and that's any kind of material, not even necessarily like the material value of having stuff 
in cars and money and whatever, but even just being a status, being a person, needing to be famous, getting that external validation from people, all of that stuff are key indicators for a lifetime of depression and anxiety. But what's funny to me is that we have all of these like self-help coaches that exist out there that are and business coaches that are teaching you how to grow your business. And and it's like essentially as if McDonald's was running a campaign to say, we're going to get you successful by eating Big Macs. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because they're mm-hmm. basically saying, because that's the way he puts it in the, in the book, like that they're junk values in the same way that you put junk food inside your body, you get sick. If you put junk values inside your head, you're going to end up with mental illness. You're going to end up with depression and anxiety. So the cure to junk values is eating healthy values, putting good healthy values into you, which are intrinsic values, not extrinsic, ones that make you feel good from the inside out. And um, so I was thinking that. I was like, fuck, that's crazy. There's no industry for that. There's an industry that people pay so much money to business coaches to grow their business, and all of those things are based in mostly financial goals. How much is your business going to make a year? Set that goal and reach that target. So all of it is always looking externally to figure out how to make mm-hmm. your business better and it's just mm-hmm. no wonder people fucking constantly fail and businesses fail constantly because their targets are all weird i agree well i think that it's devoid of meaning like if you if you if you're living in a materialistic universe that's like essentially says we're all we are is atoms smashing together by complete random chance there's no meaning in that in that myth in that narrative and I think that to me, having, you know, it's like why the 12 steps works. It's because yeah. there's the, you know, the first step is recognizing that you're powerless to actually change yourself. You know, there's a handing over, there's an aspect of surrender. And what you're surrendering to, I mean, you can call it whatever you want the unconscious mind, your true self, God, Buddha nature. But like all of these spiritual technologies and traditions exist to help us recognize the limitations of our own self-concept yeah and and like our self-concept that's the that's the thing that wants to grow ourselves with business and you know self-improvement and all of the fucking things that we do but you know we don't have a mythology that even conceptualize surrender or something larger than our own ideas yeah because if you did that then there's nothing tangible to hold on to because, you, you know, the opposite of that thinking is from, say, if you're looking at the world from a materialistic point of view that my, the thing that gives me value is what I achieve in this lifetime, then when you say your lifetime is nothing compared to the grand scheme of things, then you immediately feel hopeless and empty because it's like, oh, well, what the fuck is the point then? But, mm. you know, so from, from that, if, if your main value, and this is where I'm, I'm doing this like cool little goal setting exercise right now where I'm trying to establish what my values are so that they can tell me how to run my life rather than the other way around. If I can clearly get in my head what I value, then mm-hmm. it, I don't have to question which direction I'm going. You know, like if, if I think about making a funny podcast where I'm really mean to a lot of people <laughs> or <laughs> open up the connection to one single human by means of a nice conversation, I know which one I should do because the one that matters mm-hmm. to me more is that open connection. You know, and when mm-hmm. you do something that's sort of against your values, you and even, you know, you just feel a bit uncomfortable in the pit of your stomach, but you don't really know why. And it's like, no, but I'm fucking doing all the things. I'm supposed to be doing this thing and right. I, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I just need to keep producing content. Just make something and something will happen. And I feel a bit right. lost and drifting. But 
if I set up my values properly, like what do I value? What's important? Why the fuck am I doing anything? And for so long, mm-hmm. I, I kind of thought like, oh, I'm just going to feel my way around it. And then I realized like, no, if I don't establish some thing that, I, that matters to me, that if I don't get that value system right, I am going to be either lost in the hopelessness of I'm never going to be good enough because my value, my unconscious values are guiding me then, the unconscious value that I need to be better than other people or I need to achieve something in this lifetime or I need to be funny, I need to impress people or whatever the fuck it is. So like when those values are driving my behavior, I do shitty things. And then when I go back to the values that I, that I think have probably more meaning and more mattering and the ones that make me feel good from the inside mm-hmm. out, then I don't make silly decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's hard because I think that like I've tried so many times to impose values on myself you know, whether that's from reading books or from conversations that I've had or something, I'm like, this is what I need to do. I just need to wake up every day at 6am, regardless of anything that's going on. And I need to go for a five mile run. Like this is what needs to happen. And it always fails. Like that always fails because like you said, the unconscious, all of the unconscious things that I haven't faced or haven't confronted or haven't seen through yeah. well, like are why still my actual value system. Right. Because why is it that you thought you needed to do the run? Because I want to be better. <clears throat> but better at what? Life. I want to be a better human. <laughs> I want, like I think it's I think to me for me it always comes down to worth. It always comes down to I want to feel worthy. <clears throat> yeah, I know. Fuck, man. Tell me about it. That's how I I know when I really come down to it, it's like, why do I do anything? Um, I, I've now gotten to a point where I'm, I can see that wanting to feel worthy is still not enough to create something that's going to satisfy me because worthy in whose eyes it suddenly changes. Um, and if I'm, if say my, my value, my main reason for doing things is because I want to feel worthy, that I then have to establish groups of people that are going to tell me that I feel worthy or not worthy of. And then I have to determine my behavior based on what those things, those people would want from me. Right. So let's just say, say, for example, I want a, um, yeah, in this, in this last example, this is really uh, and, and for anyone who doesn't know the background, which I'm sure that they probably do at this point, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I made a podcast last week that was mean and not very, it was really overly critical and judgmental. And I kind of missed the point of what I was trying to do. And instead of kind of creating an, a, an environment for open communication and exploration and trying new things and trying to figure out how to connect better to yourself, I created an environment where I just fucking ruthlessly judged a bunch of people and put my own insecure projections onto them and then didn't look at myself until after it was too late. Um, But anyway, so in this example, for example, let's say my purpose for creating the podcast is to become valuable or become worthy. Now let's say I want to be worthy of Bill Burr, the stand-up comedian. Mm -hmm. I want to be like Bill Burr. So then all of my values lead towards saying shocking things, trying to be funny and cool, trying to 
um, take the like uh, cut people down for all the stupid shit that they do and invent reasons why they do what they do. Now, I'm not saying that Bill Burr is an asshole. In fact, I think he's really good at what he does. But that's so that's him. That's me trying to impress someone like him. So first of all, the word that immediately we get wrong is that I'm trying to impress him. So I'm trying to be like him. And what that is, is my imagination of what he would want me to do, which is fucking insane. Because who knows what Bill Burr wants from anyone? A. B. Why, why would me pretending to be like him make him like me anymore? Why would that make me worthy? It's like I want to say a joke that he's going to turn around and be like, wow, that was a great joke, Lorna. And at the end of the day, it's like, really? That's what I live for. I, I live for Bill Burr to tell me that I made a good joke. Because the other thing about that is that, all right, great, maybe I've made a hilarious joke in this podcast by being really mean to the circle jerk women. Then Bill Burr writes me a message and goes, oh, great, that was a hilarious joke. And then he goes on with his life, and I go on with my life, and what the fuck changes? Nothing. You know what I mean? So when you actually put these things out to their logical end, they're fucking ridiculous. And, and so then if I take that exact same scenario and change it to being somebody um, like uh, Johan Hari is a good example, a, a guy who's dedicated his life to try and illuminate the truth about depression, anxiety, um, mental health disorders, why people get so fucked up, what goes wrong in their life. So he kind of is attempting to create connection through the world through truth and honesty and compassion. So then if he's the one that I want validation from then and I want to be worthy for him, then that entire thing goes out the window. Everything I just said is wrong. Then I have to change my entire behavior and and bend over backwards to be compassionate to these people and try and dive to the truth of why they do what they do. You know what I mean? So like my behavior is completely adjusted depending on what value I've decided is important. Yeah, but I think that that's, I mean, I mean... I get what you're saying, but like, you know, sometimes I am really admiring Joe Rogan, sometimes Bill Burr, sometimes Carl Jung, sometimes Mm -hmm. Buddha, you know, like sometimes admiring these, you know, different aspects of life that I've encountered through these different people. And then, you know, our ego wants to be this one thing. It wants to be, you know, like we really want to imagine ourselves consistently. Like we want to have like a continuous, consistent idea that this is who we are, you know? But sometimes I look at myself, it's like this weekend, I went on a fucking binge. I woke up on Sunday, I was just like, holy shit. That's not what I, where did that come from? Because I had been feeling almost too good. I'd been feeling like I'm doing my things, I'm staying organized, I'm like, you know, I'm working on my website, I'm creating all of this stuff that I've been wanting to create for years and years. And it finally feels like, you know, my capacity for doing that is coming online and, and then there's just this explosion of shadow that shows me like, oh yeah, there's still like a debaucherous kid in me. Yeah. And you know, there's a part of me that loves Bill Burr's whatever uh, analysis of things, you know, and he does his analysis through humor. I think that's, you know, that's his lens of seeing the world, but there's also moments where Bill Burr gets really vulnerable and open on the air or Joe Rogan or, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and I think, I think. I don't know. Do you want to talk about your podcast? Um, yeah, we should do. I think maybe what I want to, um, I do definitely want to talk about that, but, um, I guess one distinction I want to make here is that like having 
groups of people that you find compelling and interesting and inspiring to be, uh, to help guide your life or guide some of your decisions, I think is a really good thing. I think that's, I mean, that's the whole point of having people that you look up to. It's fucking rad. And being able to learn from what they say. I love that shit. But I guess the difference of what I, maybe I'm trying to say is that if I do something because I think it's going to get their approval, that's when I've gone wrong. Rather than kind of mm-hmm. feeling my way out towards how can I be the most authentic in this experience that I want to be? Like, what do I really want from this right now? What am I trying to do in my life? Mm-hmm. And at every time that like I'm looking for someone else's approval, that's when I fuck up. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. and I think um, so. Like, like if I, if I was writing jokes nonstop and then like flat putting them out so that Bill Burr would see them just because my main pure end result goal was for him to look at me and tell me I was good. You know what I mean? Like that just seems like such a silly, ridiculous way to live your life. But Mm -hmm. on an everyday basis, when I get off track and I start doing silly things, that is kind of more or less what I'm doing. I'm just hoping that someone's Mm going to validate me that I respect. And not necessarily Mm -hmm. him, but I mean it could be anybody. And that's that's Mm -hmm. where shit gets, gets squirrely. And it's good to, I think in my mind, play it out to its final end result and see how ridiculous that is that Mm -hmm. it wouldn't matter to me if Bill Burr at the end of the day told me that I was rad. It would be neat for a few minutes. I'd be like, wow, that's fucking crazy that someone I respect thought that what I did was cool, you know, but that'd be it. That's all it is. Then the moment Mm -hmm. passes and you still have to go about living. You still have to go buy groceries and, you know, make friends. All Mm -hmm. of that. (laughs) The last is Mm -hmm. nothing changes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny. Yeah. It, and so it's like good to have the have the I, idea of uh, of inspirational people around you and respect what they do, but maybe figure out a little bit more like why what why do you like what they do? What is it about them that you like? It's not the things that they're doing necessarily. It's like the way that they're going about it, and then try and cultivate mm-hmm. that in yourself, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or is it seeing? that, you know, the things that, like, there's the idea in Jungian psychology that what we are really drawn to, that what we really admire in other people and what we hate in other people are really good indicators of what exists inside of ourselves. Yeah, and, you know, that's called the shadow. And so we project, you know, it's like if you see somebody that you feel this, like, you know, it's that charge when you're like, you meet somebody and you hate them immediately. And mm-hmm. you've never met them. You have no reason, no idea why you should hate them. But whatever that thing is that you hate about them, that there's a good chance that there's something in you that that also uh, resonates with that, that has that same thing, you know, no matter how much you're repressing it. And so it's like, yeah. you know, this aspect of ourself finding a mirror to become known. And, and you know, the same with our gold. That's the, that's the crazy part about it is that a lot of times, like at least for me and my family, I was taught not to be uh, – exceptional in any way it was like be normal fit in don't make people feel bad and so it's like you know I look at Joe Rogan or Carl Jung and see these you know those those are like my heroes you know I look at Joe Rogan's humor and his I think there's something about his masculinity that really like he he, like to me he's the example of the man that I want to be Mm -hmm. you know he's funny he's sensitive but he's also tough and strong and athletic and uh, most of the time I don't see myself that way um you know, in many of those aspects 
or with Carl Jung, it's like he's got this depth and this profound insight and all of these things. But then I think the process of becoming whole is recognizing, okay, these shadow aspects are actually in me. Like I actually have a creative genius. And I think that comes back to where we started this conversation of like materialism. You know, the paradigm of materialism doesn't, doesn't acknowledge that each one of us has exceptional qualities mm. and each one of us has utterly demonic qualities. Like we're born into this world with the idea that we're a blank slate and that all we are is a product of our upbringing. But, um, I don't know. That's why I love Jungian psychology or even the Buddhist idea of karma is that we come in with sort of an imprint or a momentum that wants to be known in the world. And like there's certain schools of Jungian thought that are like, your job is to find your genius and express it in the world. And maybe that's playing an instrument. Maybe that's being a janitor. Maybe that's uh, dying in a war for a cause you believe in. But there's an authentic thread that we follow. And mm -hmm. I think that that using those what we admire and what we hate as as clues to our own actualization. Yeah. <clears throat> That was exactly what Victoria and I talked about the day after um, I released that podcast. And she said, like, I feel like you missed a major opportunity to look at the mirror that was being that you were projecting all these things out onto these other women. Like, what does that say about you? And I and and she is so fucking spot on. It was so true because that, that you're exactly right, man. When I when I get that thing inside myself, when I, like when I sit here on my soapbox and be like, you have to be authentic, you have to be a real person and don't fucking let yourself be bigger than your idea. If you let yourself get bigger than your idea, you're a sellout, you're a cop out, you know what I mean? Try to be an Instagram model. You're not doing anything of value to the world. You're just buying into your own bullshit. And then in the same token, like that's my worst fear that I'm that person. You know, that I'm capable of being that person and I every once in a while am that person. And it was like, you know, and so what I hated about um, that environment where I felt like people were pretending to be spiritual is because I don't, I, it just does not resonate with me at all. I don't feel connected to a person when they're using language that I don't understand. It makes me feel isolated away from them and it makes me feel lonely and like I'm doing something wrong because I don't get it. So I feel like I'm not good enough because they all get it and I don't get it. So then, um, so I think that's a lot of what happened is that when I feel like I don't belong, I just become really, um, I become like this clown that just wants to make fun of everybody. Like, mm -hmm. oh, good. You know, fuck mm -hmm. you then. You guys are fucking weirdos anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, I really related to that, you know, and like I listened to your podcast after you had already released your sort of uh, apology, I guess. Um, and I really related to that because I, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in spiritual circles and there's a lot of that vocabulary that goes around. And when I'm not feeling part of it, then it's really easy to just step back and be like, what the fuck are you saying? Oh, you think you, uh, you think you discovered something special? Oh, you think, you know, and, uh, <laughs> anything outside of my conception of normal or reality when really maybe that person's really touching into something that causes them to speak in a soft hushed tone with reverence. Yeah. How much of uh, it do you think is authentic and how much of it do you think is not? 
I don't know. I mean, I think it's situational because I've met people and myself included. I've been a person where it's like, you know, I started going to meditation retreats and stuff. I started reading books about it. Of course, a part of my personality wants to adapt to fit into that environment. So I start talking like that and I start talking about things that I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. (laughs) And, you know, I've probably been that guy in a million gatherings, uh, you know, ranting about something that I read in a book, you know, and the people that actually know what that, what that experience is are just, you know, recognizing my uh, ignorance in that moment. Um, but I've also met people that are doing the same and been in those spiritual circles where it's really easy to adapt a spiritual ego. And so I think, I don't know, I think, you know, there's probably definitely some truth in looking in the mirror in that experience and what you said about it. But I, I was also reflecting like, you know, maybe there was also aspects of inauthenticity that you were picking up on, um, that are real as well. Mm. And that, and that's the thing too, is like, it's okay. I think for me to pick up on that stuff, but to be so like, to make a claim that that's a hundred percent what was happening is, yeah, is probably is where I fucked up. Cause it would have been funnier to relay the story from my experience as me rather than what they were doing. Right. And like, cause I, right. I made this crazy assumption that that's, that's just who they were. That's what they were doing. They were all lying. Mm-hmm. And it's like, who the fuck mm-hmm. knows? I don't know how many of them were lying or not lying or whatever, like whatever they were doing. That's a funny thing too, is that we get this assumption that we're supposed to be the judge. Like who am mm-hmm. I to say what's the right way to express yourself or not. And mm-hmm. in that, like, it, it seems weird for me to like, I, I think if I could say it from my perspective and say this is how I felt and I became this little kid, like that would be a funnier story or at least a bit more of a real take on it rather than they did this, they did that, they did that. But it is funny to look back at it now. Like when I listen to it now, I can just hear this like dripping cynicism out of my voice and I really have become like a little kid. You know, like I'm throwing a tantrum pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder, I mean, have you felt into where that cynicism is coming from? Um, yeah, like, I feel... I feel like I want to fit in with people that criticize that world. I feel like if I call it out, then I'll fit in with a different group of people, which isn't right either. Like, you know, I feel like... If if I think those people are idiots, then everyone else will accept me or something. So there's that element of it um, because I feel a bit embarrassed about it. It's something that I don't understand, but it's also something that, that I – it's not something I respect and understand, I guess. So, like, if I don't understand something and I don't respect it, then I don't care. I can just write it off. But if I respect something and I don't understand it, then I'll work my ass off to understand it. Mm-hmm. Like like neuroscience, for example, something I know fuck all about. I know nothing at all about it. And if two neuroscientists were sitting across from me talking in some really intense, complicated language about it, I'd be fucking taking notes, trying to figure out what they meant by that, try and follow whatever I could, record the conversation, listen to it later. Do you know what I mean? Because I really mm-hmm. want to know what they mean. But when mm-hmm. I get into like a spiritual environment like that and I feel like everyone's talking some jargon that I don't understand I'm just like it's it's easy for me to write it off because I'm like I don't even know what the fuck you're doing and that so that's unfair and I think also even just saying that there is this thing in me I don't know if I can even really articulate this but I'll try it 
that like, I do believe at some level that there is this magic. And we've talked about this a bunch before, the concept of like that flow state or the it factor that happens when somebody really connects to the thing that they're doing, whether it's making artwork or performing on stage or writing, you like get in, you'll be reading a book and then all of a sudden you can feel that the author got into the flow state to write that fucking chapter, paragraph, whatever. It's just like, or a sentence will jump out at you and you just go, damn, that is so good. And to me, that's what magic is. That's what real magic is. And so there is an element of me feeling like I want that thing more than anything in the world. I want to possess that magic with a thing that I'm creating. I want to get into the flow state. I want to feel like when I do something creatively, other people look at it and go, damn, what is that? Like, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I'm also acutely aware that the spiritual world does have a pathway to discovering that thing because they, um, you know, Buddhist teachers always talk about the flow state getting rid of your own inner bullshit so that you can achieve that state of like this beautiful, pure, open connectivity to the something that's greater than you. I've equated that to art and I see it in, in artwork or creativity. I don't see it necessarily in spiritual language, but I get what they're getting at. So there is an element of me that if I don't get it in the spiritual world, I must not be worthy of it. I must be wrong. And and it's the thing I want more than anything else in the world. And so if I kind of see that someone else has got it, but they've got it in a way that I don't respect or understand, I really harshly judge them because I don't believe that it could be found that way. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think that in the spirit, I mean, there's so much that masquerades as spirituality. these days. And so I think, and, you know, I've encountered it and I've been it wanting so badly to be in a state of meaning or be in a state of, uh, flow or be creative or, you know, and all of the ego agendas that come along with that desire. But I think what I've encountered of spirituality, true spirituality is absolutely, stripped down clarity essence you know it's like the people that have truly walked on the path they don't have a lot to say you know i mean there's poets that have moments of of big inspiration and big words and it's it's really beautiful and that happens but people that people that are really in touch with that thing you know they don't need to fill space because space is all there is and space is space is beautiful and uh, cluttering space with concepts is the antithesis of spirituality mm-hmm. and so i think i don't know i was i was sympathizing with you, what you're experiencing um without having been there because i've had those feelings myself which probably come from cynicism as well you know in certain instances um but there's also there's also an aspect of sincerity that um, I don't know. I, I felt from your description of the thing that, yeah, okay, maybe there was a part of you that was being cynical and trying to be funny, for sure. But there's an also a part of you that was like, 
yeah, coming, like I really felt that like, okay, I didn't necessarily feel like I was belonging in this thing. I didn't feel like, you know, I didn't feel called to, you know, cry out in this way or, um, whatever. And I mean, that's a super uncomfortable experience. Mm. And I mean, <laughs> I was thinking, can you imagine a group of guys just sitting around in a room having a circle jerk? <laughs> well, I don't know if that's it. <laughs> in, from the, from in the context that you're... I know. That you, it, and especially like ex, uh, um, expressing themselves like that. Like it would be crazy to... It would be crazy to imagine a, a bunch of men doing that. But... Um, and the thing about it is that I think she... Her aim is to get people to feel something that they wouldn't normally feel. It, and and mm-hmm. in, in a way, it's kind of like going to an amusement park. You know, mm-hmm. that this is a thing that you can do to get yourself out of yourself. Mm-hmm. Just fuck all that stuff off and do something. So maybe it isn't an authentic expression of what you're feeling at that exact moment. But at the same time, um, when or else are you going to be able to scream like that or howl like a wolf or, you know, just do whatever the fuck you feel like doing? Because and, mm-hmm. and my question to her, and, and I hopefully I'm going to have her back on the podcast to talk about it, but it's like... For somebody like me who, as, as um, expressive as I seem, and uh, most people that know me from the gym think that I'm pretty like outgoing because I teach the classes and I talk to everybody and I'm friendly, but I'm a pretty actually quiet person and I'm very um, like introspective and I, if I get into a big group of people, I always like talking to one person at a time. I'm not very good in big groups, you know? So like that thing, I think it's something... Uh, when I've ever felt spiritual things or worked on my spirituality or meditated or whatever, it's always been very quiet to me. It's always like the stillness. It's the absence of expression. Because for me, every time I try to express something, uh, like you said before, when it comes out, it it comes out as a construct and it seems to lack meaning and it it, it lacks the initial magic that was inside your head that you have this idea and then you try and put it into words and when you express it, it comes out kind of clunky and it's not quite the same. And so um, this is maybe one of my problems, like why I have a hard time articulating my creativity out in the world because I mistrust my own ability to articulate it right, you know, to bring it out authentically. And so I think in an environment like that, I would be interested to know what the value is psychologically in for somebody like me to do that in a group setting or someone like me to do that one-on-one with somebody that guides me through that process. Because if, because she did say throughout the entire time, like, don't feel pressure. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to get naked. You don't have to touch yourself. You don't have to do anything. And I got it. She said, don't, you don't have to, but she is not in control of a group environment. If everyone else around you is doing things, there is this innate social pressure to feel like you have to do something. And that's on me. I get that. Like I, it's, I'm feeling the group pressure and it's my job to just do whatever I want to do. And that's what I ended up doing in the end. And I didn't need to turn it around and make them out like idiots because of it afterward. But um, at the end of the day, if you're not feeling something, you don't have to do it. And I think that, so my question, I guess, is kind of like in that group environment, was that a benefit to me? Would I have gotten more out of it if I had learned all the teachings that she was going to learn to me and then I was on my own 
to express myself my way and every other girl was in her own way able to express herself in her own way. Because I wonder how much of that is an exhibitionist element where somebody you know, who really likes to be heard would want to be heard by other people mm. versus the other people that maybe, mm. I don't know. Well, what if you looked at the whole thing like as a meditation? Yeah, man. You know, it's like you got you get to see because meditation is just seeing. How do I respond to this? How do I respond mm-hmm. to that? You know, some somebody who's an exhibitionist, maybe they get to see. Oh, this is me being an exhibitionist. Somebody who holds back and never likes to express. This is me holding back. What would it be like to do the opposite? What would it be like to try something else? You know, yeah. and maybe it's a space to just notice your own response. And and, and, and I think that is exactly bunch. what she's trying to do. Hmm. I think, I mean, I think that that's cool. Like, I think that that's really cool, you know, because then look at what you've gotten out of it. You've gotten not only the opportunity to do it, but you've gotten the opportunity to, you know, broadcast your initial thoughts to the world, (laughs) to whoever listens to your podcast. (laughs) And then you've gotten the opportunity to go back and look at that and have reflection from the people who are impacted by that. And then, and then own that. I mean, you've like owned that publicly, like the whole thing, like oh, from the God. setup, like this is what I'm going to do, like on your Facebook page, like you've just done an immensely vulnerable thing. Oh, fuck, man. That was the worst like, part. Isn't that crazy? <clears throat> like how much harder, like I can masturbate in a room with a bunch of women, all good. And there's so many people that are messaging me beforehand being like, fuck, you're crazy. That's so brave to do that. And I was, I, I just felt kind of numb to it. I was like, wow, whatever. You know what I mean? Who gives a shit? It would be a good story. I didn't care. I, even being there, being naked, I didn't care. Because the whole thing is that, exactly as you say probably, like my uh, perception of the thing was so tunnel vision. Like I'm not ashamed to be naked and masturbating. And that's all I saw and that's all I did. And I didn't zoom out and see actually right. – this is what right. I'm like in a situation where I'm right. totally fucking right. out of my element. Right. And then, well, think about. Sorry. Like, and so then when I didn't, um, so w- when I addressed it afterward, I addressed just simply that, like, oh, I wasn't fucking ashamed. You guys are all fucking weirdos. And meanwhile, I'm tr- like hell triggered. Like, I am so deep inside trigger of, like, if, if you anything can call that a trigger, that's what I was. Like, I was just reacting out of pure fear and anger and annoyance. And um, fuck, yeah, man. And the vulnerability, like, the shit that, the, the amount of shit that's going on in my head now, the ripples that have come out of that. I couldn't give a fuck about masturbating with people in a room. The having to come face to face with a person I, um, had upset. And she was actually very like, she, cause she does so much work on herself. She was pretty much like, look, I think this is something in you that you like have missed. And what would you be interested in talking more about that? And I was just like, Oh Jesus, you're so right. So coming face to face with that, realizing that I'm not as advanced in my own self-reflection as I thought I was having to come to terms with that and being like, Oh fuck. You know, like I keep sitting here telling everybody to be authentic and be yourself and I can't even do it, you know. And then and then so having to deal with that and then apologizing. Apologizing is no big deal. Once I realized my mistake, I'm okay with apologizing. But um, then the vulnerability of putting that out in the world and and now being afraid of what people are judging me to if they think I'm weak for going back on my word. Do you know what I mean? Like the amount of shit that goes on in my head now and how much 
it's just this constant fucking vulnerability. And it make it, it's making me feel a bit sick, to be honest. It's just like, and I don't know how to get past it. I feel like there was this beautiful moment of authentic, real shame that I, after I had the conversation with her, I kind of listened to what I'd said, really thought about it, and I spent an afternoon just really feeling it. And I didn't even put words to it. I cried. I just kind of felt it. And I felt this like raw openness. You know that thing like when you finally accept that someone's left you or whatever and you just cry, but there's a sense of relief in that because you're just like, okay, it's, I just accept that this is fucked and I'm sad. <laughs> and there was nothing I needed. I didn't need to do anything about it. I was looking for no validation, no anything. I was just processing immediate emotions right then and there. And that felt really intense and it felt made me feel sad, but it felt good because it was clean and now I'm in like the aftermath of it where I'm I'm like kind of I don't have this raw sense of nice emotion now I'm reeling from the the I'm nervous about what I said on the internet afterward I'm nervous about what people are thinking now about my um apology and I'm worried that I didn't like, did I get enough people? Did enough people watch my video? Are people thinking that I'm trying to be too humble? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just mm-hmm. tying myself up in mm-hmm. fucking knots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think uh, from the whole, it's so funny how you're saying all these things. None of that is what I experienced when I listened to the initial podcast, when I listened to the apology as we're talking now. There's really? no sense of like, <laughs> Oh, you're yeah. Oh, you were so ridiculous here. Or that was over the line. I was like, I've done that. Yeah, I've fucking talked shit when it was about myself in front of people. I've never done it on the internet. I've never done it publicly. I've never run it back. You know, it's like it takes it takes a lot of vulnerability to do what you did from start to finish. And I think that you know, it seems like the the lessons always come in the back door yeah. of like you know, it's like you're doing this podcast about authenticity and, you know, da, 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 da. And then it comes in the back door of exposing one of your blind spots publicly. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. And, like, I mean, you took a huge risk. You took a huge risk. And I think that, um, you know, nothing you said was malicious, mm. you know. And if, if, you know, if the people that are part of that circle, you know, they've, they've done their own work, you know, it's a, like – Every moment of growth is a humbling moment, is a humbling moment of realizing like, oh, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't, you know, and, and you have had the courage to do that publicly. I like, I was just impressed. You know, I was, as I was listening to and walking, I was like, damn, damn, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever done anything this vulnerable. Um, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I go to a men's group every week where we sort of speak like get into our body. This is what I'm feeling right now. That's hard enough. And that saying what I'm actually feeling in front of a group of men and where that's coming from and sort of that relinquishing of control of like, this is what I'm feeling, take it or leave it, you know, mm-hmm. often ends in tears or whatever. Um, because we're so conditioned against that. But I think that in a backwards kind of way, this whole experiment with the circle and everything that has come of it has actually totally embodied what you want your podcast to be about. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's really good. That's nice to hear, man. That's reassuring. 
Because, I, I mean, I think that's what it is. And it took Victoria also to sit down here and talking to me about it. But it's like, she's like, don't you see, like, you keep making this division between you and me. Like, because I kept saying, oh, I don't know, just your world and my world. And she's like, we're on, we're doing the same thing. What you're trying to do with your podcast is the same thing I'm trying to do. Um, I don't understand why there's this division. And I was like, fuck, you're absolutely right. And I create the division because I want to distance myself from something that makes me feel uncomfortable rather than being like, fuck yeah. We, you know, yes, that's what I was, that's what I should have done and that's what I should have looked into and I didn't know. And you're right, like at least now I have the opportunity to go back in, and, and this is the main reason why I don't want to delete that podcast because it's like, I could, I, I could definitely just go back and delete it and be like, nah, that was embarrassing. I, I missed the mark. I shouldn't have done it like that. Because I don't think it's my best work. It's, I, I enjoyed the, a lot of the neuroplasticity stuff. But again, a lot of that was things that I've, I've only kind of researched over um, a couple years of me reading books on it and then looking at studies on the internet. Like it's not something I know a shitload about. So it's like there, all of that could have been done better. But at the same time, I did it, and this is exactly where I am right now. In um, some, I think this is an interesting thing: is that like when I do something shameful, and then I think back to it six months later, I will make a huge joke out of it, and it'll be hilarious, and I'll tell everyone the story, and I feel zero shame whatsoever. But when learning happens, like within a twenty-four hour period, you feel <laughs> the feeling is totally different. It's like taking DMT versus ayahuasca, I imagine. It's like that, like, immediately getting plummeted into a whole new perception of yourself instead of, like, having the gradual ease your way into this alternate dimension. Like, I, I went from being a person one day to being a different person the next day. Like, I felt like, you know, I had a little bit of a mental earthquake. And I talk about these mental earthquakes all the time on the podcast because I'm like, oh, yeah, these are these amazing things for growth. You know, you have these, like big failures and yeah and I you remember that time when I used to be a drunk like I can talk about that all the time now all the time but talking about this immediately I'm still I still don't even have the fucking vocabulary to get across what the weakness I feel and the confusion and the stress that I feel about it because it's just too raw it's too immediate I'm sure I'm sure and I mean that's another aspect of like wow like you know a lot of times we get an opportunity to polish our experiences you know it's like if they were a bad experience or a good experience you know we get a chance to run it through our narrative software and be like yeah, yeah. oh and then this happened this happened and like make meaning of it and like oh and then here was the you know the real thing and it all it all sort of um you know in a raw rawness is chaotic you know it like is. the rawness of of being humbled or the rawness of learning something about ourselves that we didn't know or exp- having a blind spot exposed publicly you know whether that's in a retreat setting or on the internet in front of a bunch of people that yeah. you know and whose opinions you care about but i think you know it's like those moments when you're with your partner and i had one of these last night with my girlfriend is like you know we're going along with our operating system basically intact and then like this massive glitch that's been running in the background comes to the surface because there's a space or a possibility for it and like I've been feeling really good in my life about you know accomplishments and external things and things that I've been doing and yet there's been this huge blind spot that I've been missing in in my relationship my girlfriend and like just sitting last night and like 
you know, it's like I had all these plans to get up early and go to bed. And it's like the timing, it just erupted. And I just ended up sobbing on the floor and feeling like this small child. And, and that vulnerability with her led to this immense sense of reconnection to the sense of like, like, and it took, it took patience and it took like, where's this coming from? You know, it's like, okay, we're addressing the problem. That's the surface level. The problem almost never seems to be what it's actually about. Right. You know, yeah, and then, you, oh, then yeah. you go into your body and you're like, oh, but then there's this. And it's just this thread that continues unraveling until you get down to like, oh, I'm fucking terrified of commitment. This isn't about all this other shit. This is about me with this very basic sense of being afraid to commit to anything. Yes. And like oh, sorry that it's taken me six months to fucking dig that up and be honest with you about it. And the think... vulnerability. <clears throat> sorry, keep going. No, no. I mean, it's just like it flies in the face of the part of me that feels like success is happening because then it's like this very like, oh, I'm like, I'm just this little vulnerable child who wants mm. love, you know, and, and mm. both of those are true at the same time. <clears throat> Yeah, and that's the thing when you have a construct. It's like if you invent a construct that you need to be, then when things contradict with what your ideal of this construct is, like say, for example, your construct is a Joe Rogan, and then it's like imagine Joe Rogan curling up on the ball, crying on the floor, and you'd be like, nah, he'd never do that. I'm embarrassed, you know? And then it's like you're just matching yourself up to a construct would not realizing that he does that all the time probably. You know, there's many reasons why he would and need to. And he's only become the person he's become because he's had fucking horrible moments like that. But um, what is it, do you think, because, you know, it's funny, like, uh, I obviously am not in a committed relationship right now, and I've always thought, I, I never understood why I ran away from things like that, but I also have the same thing, this fear of commitment. I'm curious to you, do you think, have you been able to articulate why, because mine's not just a commitment of people, I mean, it is, yeah, straight across the board, I'm afraid of committing to everything. I'm an artist, nah, 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 I make podcasts, nah, 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 right. you know what I mean? right. Hmm. I'm not sure if I actually know the answer for myself or if I've just read it, read it in a thousand books. Yeah. Um, I think that for me, there's an aspect uh, like what was coming up last night, what seems to come up really consistently is trust. Um, commitment implies trust implies a, a honing away of infinite possibilities and choosing a singularity, oh, you know, even if that man. singularity, yeah. uh, we're in love does, with possibility. Know, of course. Yeah. There's in Jungian, in Jungian thinking, there's, um, an archetype called the puer eternus, which means the eternal youth. And, uh, we live, you know, uh, we live in, especially coming from ski towns, you and I both come from ski towns where it's like, you know, it's not uncommon to see 40 year olds still like talking about their ski boots and their skis at parties and talking about the, you know, what cliff they dropped for the fucking 200th time, you know, like while chain smoking cigarettes and like, you know, downing a shot of Jack. It's like those people, you know, and people caught in that archetype, which I think I am to a certain extent. And, um, I was just talking to a Jungian psychologist in Bozeman about this and he was, you know, he said, like Bozeman is the land of the puer, you know, it's like, it's the absolute land of the eternal youth. And I think you're from Breckenridge, right? Yeah. It's like, that's probably just the same. Um, yeah, and so I man. think that, you know, it's like we're, we've been 
cultured into this idea that like there's infinite possibilities. You can do anything you want. You can go anywhere you want. Like if something's not working, just go to the next, just go to the next. And that I think is a disservice to the depth that comes when you commit to one thing, whether that's your art or your partner or where you live. Um, and I think that all good stories come from the, the commitment that, you know, it's like, it, it seems like a luxury to have choice to get on a plane and evade whatever is facing it. And that's what I've done for my whole life, basically. And coming back to my hometown and sort of embedding myself here and because of my relationship mostly and realizing, like, watching how much more I've grown mm. from doing that. And, like, you know, I could have gotten on a plane and gone to work somewhere else in the world or something. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's that's all part of it for me. <clears throat> yeah, I hear that, man. Definitely. Like that um me committing to anything means the I'm eliminating other possibilities. For sure. 100%. Mm-hmm. And that um and so I wonder like what the lure of those possibilities are. But the funny thing is is when I um like so if I make a painting, there are infinite possibilities that that painting could be. Um, well, limited to my technical skill, obviously, but for the sake of what I'm trying to make, I, I'm in control. I can make whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. But when I feel really connected to the thing I'm making, I'm not questioning why I drew that line there or if that's an okay thing or if that works or if it doesn't. I'm just in the process of making it. And whatever it comes out, like I have this like incredible trust that the thing will work regardless. It's just going to work. And I know it and I feel good about it. And I'm always pleasantly surprised when I look at it at the end and go, fuck yeah, that, whatever that is, it is. It's a it. <laughs> and a lot of times it surprises me because it'll come out different than what I'll have a kind of a concept of what it should be. And then when it comes out, it's t- totally different, but it's way better. And I go, oh, fuck. Well, thank God I trusted, like I gave myself the time, committed the time to see this thing through. Even sometimes if I felt like, oh, I've got on tra- off track here. I wish I had an undo button. That happens a bunch. And then I just go, no, keep powering through, keep pushing through. And then on the other side, it does come out usually. And so it's almost like, yeah, you're right, man. Like there's a depth to things when you accept where they are and you commit to the process, then all of the other possibilities don't lure you as much. The possibilities are more like, like candy or like, you know, something like glittering and exciting that's a, a potential outside of the world that isn't real. And, and it, so it, it feels like, yeah, I don't know. It feels like that, that when anything gets tough in the same time when I go to the kitchen to drink coffee or eat chocolate, it's because I'm not dealing with the difficult situation right in front of me. As soon as I, I come up against something I can't really figure out, instead of just sitting there and patiently figuring it out, because I have the choice, I'll get up and walk away. And then I come back no closer to the solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. interesting, man. I mean, yeah, I think you know the idea of the rock bottom has meant a lot to me in my life because I haven't actually changed until I've had no other choice but to change. Mm. Um. And I think, you know, growing up privileged, that rock bottom feels like, you know, it feels like the bottom is infinitely far away mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, 
you know, this knowing in the back of my head, like, ah, somebody would bail me out or like I have resources, I could sell things, you know, it's like, there's, it's, there's, there's just this sense of comfort that like, it requires me facing down like my patterns, for example, of not, of, of not seeing my willingness to commit, you know, to my partner, which, you know, no matter how much I don't acknowledge it, no matter how much I numb it out through being busy or through drinking coffee or whatever it is, that's going to be impeding our ability to connect with each other. Yeah. And it feels like you're holding a secret. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Without, you know, I'm being moving at too fast. For me, it feels like I move at too fast of a pace to really slow down and acknowledge it. And then we got together last night and sat down and really slowed down. And it was like, oh, yeah, there's this thing you know, that's hurting you, the person that I love the most in the world. Mm. And, and why does it take getting to that moment of, you know, having like some really intense conversations thrown in my face and the possibility of losing the person I love to acknowledge, to acknowledge, I guess what's real, what's true. Yeah. Yeah, man, it does. I, I felt like, um, Leading up to this kind of moment, it's a funny thing when you you kind of feel like you're tracking along and things are going and, and things are just going. And so I felt at least in the last little while that like I was getting an itch, like, should I fight again? I need something. I need a project to work on. I need something to achieve because I'm just... I'm dissatisfied. And like you were saying, um, you're drinking coffee to just get through and you're just doing more stuff and you're, you're like accumulating these things and then it's kind of like, why? Why do I feel the compulsion and need to accumulate stuff and time and projects and ideas and all this stuff? Because there is this like weird hum. It's like background hum that's going on. It's like, uh, I just, something's not good, but I don't know what. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know. And it takes really slamming up against the wall to go, oh, that's what wasn't good. And even if it wasn't that, say it wasn't that, maybe this was totally unrelated. In fact, I actually think it was completely related to the way I was feeling before, and I'll try and explain why, but um, even if it was totally unrelated, like say I got in a car accident or something, just something to help you snap out of your own perspective for just a little bit, like just that, because I feel like we tend to get um, we, it's like a calcification in a way, like, like we build up a cocoon around us of habits and ideas and things that we do and, and momentum, you know, like a cotton candy, probably (laughs) like a cotton candy starts out with this little stick and it's just a potential for cotton candy. And then as the time goes on, the cotton candy spins and spins and spins and gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then somebody eats it, and and it eats away generally to get down to the bottom, and then that thing is still there. It's just now this, like, sugar-covered stick. But it's the, it has, again, the sugar-covered stick, the same potential to become cotton candy again. And it goes on and on and on and over and over. And that's what I feel like happens. Like, as I'm going through life, I'm just a cotton candy, just, like, absorbing, absorbing. And, and then I get too big for myself, and I need to, like shake all that shit off and just become the stick again. I just need to fucking get it all off of me. And sometimes I Mm -hmm. personally cannot do it. I'm too wrapped up in my own shit to be able to remove the cotton candy myself. I have to have somebody. And sorry, for Australians, I'm talking about candy floss. I think that's what they call it here. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't really know. I've never eaten it since I've been here. But the, so like that thing <laughs> where you, um, yeah, it's like you get covered, buried in your own shit, and you physically can't see it, but it takes somebody from the outside eating the shit off of it or ripping it off or dropping it on the ground until you go like, oh, fuck, I was accumulating a self here, and I need mm -hmm. every once in a while to be reminded that I'm not a self that I'm much bigger mm. than myself, that whatever, whatever I'm doing in my life isn't driven by, by momentum. I'm driving this. Mm -hmm. I oftentimes feel like I'm being pulled because I'm too lazy to take an active stance in what I'm doing or I've become too relaxed in the comforts of momentum because it's nice mm -hmm. to not have the responsibility to make a choice. It's nice to just sit there and go, okay, I have this thing, this is my schedule, I just need to go and, and just do that. And then every once in a while, and then you, get, you resent it and you're like, ooh, I never have a fucking choice, I'm at work all day. It's like, it's a, will you put yourself It's a great there? story. It's a great story to be the victim of our conditioning. Right, yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, that, and that's where I think maybe I only had one little valid point, even though I was mistaken, really, in kind of how I assumed it in that podcast. But it's like, in, in enabling the story that tells us why we're broken is not going to heal us. Enabling that story, the narrative inside our head that says, I'm crying because I feel this way because, oh, maybe I was raped as a kid. You know, like I, and I'm one of those people. I mean, I've talked to you about this a bunch before because we, I mean, we've known each other or almost known each other. I don't even know how we describe what this relationship is, but like that I, I mean, because all the time while I've been trying to discover why I do what I do, I've told you a fucking infinite number of theories. Like, oh, it was probably because of this. I had this weird experience when I was a little kid, and I'm still holding on to that. Like, this is us dredging up those bits of story. And by enabling the story and attaching to it and making it be a part of me, oh, yeah, that's it. I'm this person because my mom's like this, and that's who I am, and this is the way I'm going to be. All that is is just me attaching to that candy floss and, and not taking responsibility for mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, not taking responsibility for right now. Yeah. Man. And I think that's, that's something, I think that's such a good point. And I actually really like that in your podcast when you started talking about that of like, go join a fucking service organization, go do something, mm -hmm. you know, because there's definitely a part of the spiritual. I mean, and what I would say is that, you know, going to that circle and what you're engaged in is spiritual to, in my definition of it, even if it doesn't, you know, even if you don't like that definition or even if it doesn't feel that way to you, but you know, so much of what you've, we've talked about, you know, over the years has been, has been what I would define as spiritual, which is, is coming to recognize and live from that place of truth that yeah. we're talking about. And I think, you know, there's so much like, there's infinite number of wounds. And this is something that I learned when I was on retreat with my teacher of like, he's like, I mean, you can sit and go to self-healing retreats or sit in therapy for the rest of your life if you want, you know, and it's never all going to be resolved. It's never all going to be worked out. But, you know, he he brings up, he, he's really the Bible, and so he brings up these biblical allegories of, like, St. Michael versus the dragon, and he has this picture of the, the horse, step, like, he's got, he's got the dragon pinned down, the horse is stepping on the dragon, and then he's got the spear through the dragon's heart. But the dragon is still alive. And, and he's like, you're never going to kill those dragons. You're never going, they're never going to be gone. But what you can do is you can fucking, you can domesticate them. You can see them and you can say, okay, I'm not going to play that game. And 
And that's, I think, what an awareness practice is good for or going to, you know, the circle you went to or doing anything that we do is, is getting awareness around, okay, these are what my dragons are. And then when you see them, you're like, oh, and then I can come back to this moment and choose something different yeah. and choose from that place of love or that place of clarity or that place of um, whatever, you know. Yeah, cause, well, and like, in, and I guess, yeah, it's the same kind of concept we were talking about at the start about values is that if I identify what my values are and which ones are guiding me right now, I'll be able to clearer see why I'm doing what I'm doing and why I'm probably sabotaging myself because I think I value this thing, but in fact, I'm actually acting this way. And in the same way, like, yeah, if I have an unconscious thing, uh, unconscious prejudice or fear or rationalization or whatever that's driving my behavior, if I draw attention to it and go, oh, I actually am afraid of commitment, then yeah, it doesn't mean like, oh, I'm just afraid of commitment. Sorry, I'm not going to marry you because I'm afraid of commitment. And it's like, no, I'm afraid of commitment. Now, how do I deal with that? That doesn't, it doesn't become a, a part of your identity. It becomes a path, obviously, yeah, to like learn how to be a better version of you. And that's mm-hmm. the beauty of these things. It's like the one shit hurts. And I knew, I knew that whatever I had done was wrong because I felt fucking sick about it. I had like a, a fucking aneurysm in the night. I, I woke up in the middle of the night and my brain was exploding. I've had double vision and my whole, I had a headache for about a day afterward. And I talked to somebody about it later. I was like, I don't know. I think I had a seizure or something. And she was like, yeah, I don't know. It sounds like your brain was bleeding or whatever. I mean, you're stressed. You're very stressed. And and this is before I even talked to Victoria about it. This is just me preparing to record it. And I just didn't feel good about it. There's something just didn't fucking feel good. So I know that everything leading up to this thing was this like push, pull, I'm still going, just fucking head down, just keep going, keep going, keep going. And then boom, then you need to have this like slap in the face. It just goes fucking what? And I think the harder that you fall, like so that the more difficult this process is. And for me, it's not the end of the world. It was a day of like this kind of beautiful realization, a couple days of action and a couple days of vulnerability and feeling kind of embarrassed that I've been so public about this. I, I definitely do feel embarrassed about that. Like it's just so much out there. And, it, and it's a, also me having to have an awareness that I have an expectation for response because I'm not just doing this on my own in my bedroom by myself and I'm putting it out there in the world. I inherently have an expectation that people are going to respond, good or bad. Mm-hmm. I want a response and I'm aware now suddenly that like, damn, I'm doing things to get a response, to elicit a response. And if I don't get that response, this makes my vulnerability feels bad, not because it's just bad to be vulnerable, but because I want something back. And if I don't get anything back, I feel like I didn't get satisfied. You know, I don't feel satisfied in me. So, because I'm thinking, oh, I'll feel better once I apologize. But then I'm like, well, how many people saw my apology? How many people like me now? You know? And then it's like, oh, gross. Um, but so I think what it comes down to is like, uh, you, you have to have these little slaps in the face every once in a while. And the uh, worse it feels at the time is probably the more off track you were getting from the start. So like... Mm you don't have as profound of realizations if you're consistently always on track and you're always doing what's more or less right because it's just little minor readjustments. But if you let Mm -hmm. yourself get off track for a little while, when you get that slap in the face, it's going to be pretty fucking painful to get back. It doesn't mean it's bad, though. It means it's... 
It just means like, shit, I was going off track for a while there. Because mm-hmm. I can feel myself slipping, man. I've been nervous about this because I've been doing the podcast for a little while now. And, the, and I have been struggling to figure out why I do the podcast. You know, like, what am I trying to get out of it? Am I, do I just want followers? Do I want to validate myself in the world? Do I want to feel like a valuable person? Um, and there's all elements of that for sure. And then it was like, so why do I, like, how do I pick a guest? If I don't have a purpose for what I'm doing with this podcast, if it's about me, you know, then do I just pick guests that are going to make me look good? Because if I do that, then I'll feel gross. That's not going to work. Do I only get guests that are real famous and doing big things and stuff because I want to I, I appear to be popular and cool for other people. I want to appear to be sex, successful to other people. And again, that doesn't feel good. If I don't have a connected conversation with the person on the other side of this thing, I, I don't know what I'm doing it for. And so mm-hmm. for a while, like a lot of the podcasts, I've just haven't felt like I've been able to like sink into that and just be connected with a person, really have a fucking awesome, authentic, open conversation. And th- mm-hmm. this thing with Victoria really helped me realize like, oh shit, yeah, this has become too much about me. I've, mm-hmm. I constantly am saying to people, if you make something about you, you will ruin it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what just happened. Mm-hmm. What with the... Uh... With the circle and everything? Yeah. I let it become too much about me. I became this personality that I wanted people to see. And I missed the mark. And and really, and thank God, there was an opposing opinion to talk to me about it and make me have a look at that for a second and then realize, like, oh, fuck. I was on a slippery slope down the wrong direction. And thank God this happened now. And I have the opportunity at least to hopefully get myself back on track and recorrect and fucking really figure out... Why am I doing this goddamn podcast? What's it mm-hmm. for? Mm-hmm. What's the mm-hmm. benefit of this? Like, because if I can really get down to the core of it, that's going to make this thing valuable for other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we already talked about it, but like, how else? Like, what better way to get back to authenticity other than like exposing yourself for exactly what you just said? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and being willing to put yourself out there, knowing, you know, it's like you know that you have blind spots. We all know that we have blind spots. Mm. And if you talk into a microphone long enough, they're going to come. Yeah, at you some know? point If you share enough of your life, like <laughs> look, at, look at Joe Rogan. I mean, how much he just, I mean, he's rambled for however many thousands of episodes, <laughs> yeah. you know, and pissed off, you know, innumerable people along the way and course corrected but I don't know to me it seems like a really good opportunity mm-hmm. yeah I wanted to mention something that you were talking about you were just on track talking about um doing work um like charity work like outside of in in the spiritual world and stuff because I think um w- like we have this aim to try to commit to uh, or we have this aim to try and make the world a better place. Like, uh, like we have this thought in our head, like, I just want to do something powerful and meaningful. And one thing that I was questioning in myself was like, if I feel that way and I feel like I want to change people's lives, why am I not at a women's shelter helping people? And Victoria asked me that too because she said, well, so you're saying that people should be out at a women's shelter. Why aren't you there? When was the last time you were there? And she's right. There's a good point there. If I was trying to question, like, yeah, if I care so much about helping people, why am I not, like, why am I 
am I just so lazy and selfish that I just I don't want to go and work at a woman's shelter? Because it would be cool. Like, there'd be nothing wrong with doing it. What is this in me? Like, what is my actual value? If I'm honest with myself, I do want to help people. But I think maybe what that feels like, it feels too small of an action to do. Like, mm. it's almost like it will be a lot of energy for me to go um, and time to go and do that. And I feel like if I'm only impacting one or two people, then it's not enough and it's not good enough. If I could do um, something like this and reach more people, then I, it feels bigger for me. But at the same time, then it like, that's, it's my ego for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, a writer called Charles Eisenstein that I, I love. He, he's basically my guru and like all of his books. I'm like, yes, I agree with everything you say. <laughs> and I'm a total fanboy. but he talks about, he wrote a book called the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible about, about this very thing. Basically it's like, we live in this myth of the hero. We're living in this myth of like these great acts and, and nothing counts unless it's noted by millions and yeah. it's a best selling book. Da, 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 da. You know, and it's, and we're all born into this sort of hero myth. And, and, you know, he brings up the example, I forget exactly how, what example it is, but it's basically like, can you honestly say that, you know, going and, uh, you know, spending all of your life writing some book that a million people will see is more important than being with your mom on her deathbed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. As one possible example, it was like, it's these little acts, you know, and there's, there's spiritual philosophies that talk about the energetics of, one act of authentic love uh, recalibrating the collective consciousness, mm-hmm. just the, tipping that scale just a little bit more. It's these invisible acts that sort of ripple. But even on a materialistic level, you can see, you know, if I give somebody a compliment, then I'm going to feel much better. I'm going to feel much more loving. I'm going to feel open to loving or much more able to give mm-hmm. rather than sort of shut down and closed in because there's like, oh, this like, it's, a, it's, it's, it's challenging the myth of the individual boundary yeah. that we have. And, and I think, I don't know, I, I totally get that. You know, it's like, I'm constantly thinking I have to, I don't know, write some great book or do some great thing and, um, essentially be special. You know, the message mm-hmm. that I internalize as a little kid, like if I'm not special, then I'm not important or then I'm worthless. Mm-hmm. And and then recognizing the best moments that I've had in my life are like the humble, small moments of being with people as they're recognizing something true or doing that for myself or mm. like last night, you know, be humbled in a really feeling, you know, feeling really small and then feeling cracked open. Yeah. And there's something really nice in that sensation of being cracked open. There's, there, there's something really true in that. And I think like this concept of doing charity work is more, um, well, I don't know if I, I mean, like if I think about the only time that I've ever done anything that was selfless was, it was that RSPCA thing. Like there, there isn't a thing to take away from it. It's not like I would go to the shelter and then come back and be like, I'm a good person. I feel good. It was weird. It was like, so, uh, subtle but such a genuine feeling of just like I did not waste my morning today but I didn't feel any better as a person I actually just felt better inside myself it's like because it's not 
I, the dogs didn't give a fuck what I did. You know what I mean? And nobody else cared. It wasn't like I showed up there and everybody's like, thank you so much. You're such a good volunteer. We're so proud of you. We're so happy. They were just like, here's your bucket. Here's your shovel. Here's a hose. Go clean the dog shit up. And then I'd do that for four hours. Nobody would even know if I came or didn't come. Like, it didn't matter. And I'd see some of the dogs for some of the time. I got to sometimes go and play with them or walk them or whatever. But I literally would just go there and hose shit off the of walls and then feed them, and then the dogs would go back in, and they'd just shit all over the walls again. Like, I'd pet them for a minute, and then they'd just destroy the place. Like, I'd just spent half an hour cleaning up, and then they just wouldn't give a shit. But then still, at the end of the day, I'd drive away there, and, like, for the whole day and for that whole week, I just felt like, you know, it's cool. I'm okay. And it was something I couldn't even put words in. It wasn't like I felt good about myself. And I, it wasn't like I'd walk away and be like, I'm just, you know, I'm a volunteer at the RSPCA. I didn't take a picture. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. It didn't matter. And that, um, so I do kind of wonder about that, like that I have this sensation that, no, it would be wasting my time to go and work at a woman's shelter because I, I need to be spending all my energy trying to grow this thing because I can make bigger mm-hmm. change with bigger people. Mm-hmm. But you're right, man. Mm-hmm. Like, there, who's to say that I changing one person just for one ten minutes of their life mm-hmm. is not as big as this, you know? And it is probably mm-hmm. just because it's not going to get me mm-hmm. more followers mm-hmm. on Instagram or some bullshit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing is like acting from that place of love, like love knows that, you know, maybe love, love's greatest calling for a person is a podcast. Maybe it's being at a woman's shelter. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's combining the two. And, and, but it's, I think the, the consistent thread is that it's not about our own individual agendas. Mm-hmm. And one of the teachers I really like to listen to, you know, people will come up with these big questions and he'll be like, do you want to be special or do you want to be love? Because it's like, there's so much, there's so much in all of us. I think that is, is there's a thread of wanting to be special. And if our, like, at least for me, my ego has very much taken on like, Oh, I need to be a good person. I need to be uh, for change. I need to be for the revolution of the world. And so my attempt to be special goes into this direction because it's what I've defined as being a good person as being um, worthy of, uh, praise. And then, uh, you know, just having those moments of grace where it's like life chooses something different for me that opens my heart, you know, like a silent moment that opens my heart. That's worth all the specialness. You know, it's like, you know, they're, they're not even in the same, Category. They're not even yeah, the and the specialness ballpark. seems a bit silly in those moments. Eh? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. I even, as I'm having, you know, if what I would call for myself a genuine moment, where it's like I'm just fucking out of the way. Even as it's sometimes as it's happening, then I'll hear my my come back and be like, "We got to write about this." Yeah, this will make a great podcast. I know. I, it happens to me constantly. Absolutely. All the time. Oh, I need to make a video about this. I know. Fuck. <laughs> it's but so I, hard to keep it I at bay. I think there's truth in that, too. I think there's truth in that, too, of, like, I was, I was feeling really inspired today and walking to work and, you know, thinking, like, what if after every student that I work with, what if I wrote a haiku? You know, and it's not to show anyone. But there's an aspect of, of 
our art and our work. You know, it's like a musician. We need an audience to be heard. And there's, you know, there's an idea in, you know, like the new age thinking of like we, the the universe created sentience so that it could behold itself. Mm-hmm. And so, like, without an audience, without sharing, without connecting, you know, our deep meaning, we of course our deep meaning wants to be known by other people because it's truth. It's just true. And so we want we want to connect in that place with other people. So I think there's an authentic drive to share too. Yeah, like, well, it's hard to know if you got it, if it doesn't, if there isn't a feedback. You know, it's hard to know that you, um, you're making that connection until somebody else recognizes the truth in what you did. I I, I fully get that. Yeah, there's, I, uh, people have often said to me when I was trying to work out how, what kind of drawing, what kind of artwork I wanted to do. And they're like, Oh, just, does it make you happy? If it makes you happy, just do it. And I'm like, ah, it's not a happiness thing. It's not like that. I want to be just sitting in a room feeling happy today. It's more like, I feel like I want to figure out how better to articulate what I'm trying to say. And I want to say it and I want it to be heard by other people. And I don't care what that means. You want to be known. Well, I want to be heard, I think. I want to be understood. And and so like right. and I want to know that what my idea is makes sense to somebody else. And it doesn't work if I just say it out loud to myself. I I'm I hear my own thoughts fucking constantly. And I don't even have to say them. I don't even have to articulate them fully. I can kind of halfway mo- make a thought and it will flit in and out of my head and it's like, "Oh, who gives a shit?" But when I'm really forced to, like in this conversation, to really like say what I mean, it's totally a different story. And when you actually achieve a moment where you authentically say really what you mean and someone else gets it and then they say something that they mean, there's something, that's that magic that I'm talking about. Like there's a thing in that. There's something real in that. That's, it's impossible to replicate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's because yeah, like, what do life... we appreciate in like a, in a good song or something? Yes. Why do people flock by the thousands to follow a band around the world is because there's something real there. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like that's their gift. They're giving a gift. Anyone that's saying something true is giving a gift to the world because that's what we're all looking for, actually. We're all actually looking for, you know, that connection in like, oh, like whatever, it, on all the different levels that it resonates. Yeah, man. And and so it's it's actually by by really committing to what we truly have to say, I think that's actually a radical act of unselfishness because mm-hmm. it takes fucking courage because you're putting yourself out there, you're exposing yourself for what's real inside of you. And then and then you like most of the time we're just blunting what's real for us so that we're not really risking anything. You know, we're not we're not all in. And so it's like, yeah, take it or leave it. Fuck you. Uh, you didn't actually see who I am anyway. Yeah, man. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I think that's what makes me feel so sad when I get off of that track is that, like, I said a bunch of stuff, but I didn't connect. And then I feel gross mm. about it. Because it, it's the same thing as, like, just, you know, you, you you wave at somebody and then they walk right past you and they they miss it. They don't see it. And then you just get filled with this, like, hot shame. like uh, Or worse yet, when um, you think someone's waving at you and you wave back at them and you realize they're looking at the person behind you and you yeah. just go, fuck. <laughs> like those moments, that's what it feels like to me when I do something embarrassing like that. Like when I say something that's not authentic, it's not true, I'm just doing it because I'm trying to be impressive or cool or funny or something and you just feel like a fucking joke. Mm-hmm. 
Because mm-hmm. you're right. At the end of the day, what we want, I think, is connection. And that Johan proved this in an entire book where he investigated the reasons why people are depressed. And he believes at the end of the day it's connection. Connection to a bunch mm-hmm. of different things. But connection really is the core of what makes us happy as humans. Yeah, and I also think, you know, giving yourself, cutting yourself a little bit of slack, like to learn how to fully express yourself Mm -hmm. in that group goes against everything that we've been taught in our world, you know, to like really, especially around sexuality, like we're all sexually repressed. Yeah. And, and to, that was your first time doing that, you know, it's like that coach, how long has she been doing it? How long has it taken her? to push her edges, to be able to moan in an authentic way in front of a group of naked women, you know, like imagine how, you know, it's like you just went into basically into the ring to have a a fucking Muay Thai fight with your clitoris. And have never trained. (laughs) (laughs) Like with no training whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Supernatural to. With my clit that has legs, by the way. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. Well, this is very wonderfully nice talking to you. I don't know how long we've been I talking know. for, but an hour and a half. I, I never do. I'll um. Nice. I'm gonna stop recording it so that we are done recording. Sounds good. Thank you for doing that with me. How do people find you yeah. if they want to read your writing? Uh, I just published my new website, uh, ChristopherDrummond.com with a K, K K-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-D-R-U-M-M-O-N-D, or um, I guess I have Instagram, K-D underscore words. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm just learning how to market myself. Oh, it's a bitch. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, hello again. That was... Christopher Drummond. His website is www.christopher, K-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-D-R-U-M-M-O-N-D.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please share it. Tell your friends. Fucking like it on iTunes. uh, Subscribe to it. Rate it. And go to my Patreon page and support me there. Whatever you want to do. I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you again next week.